It is June, which means it is the last month of my internship with my college's Disability Resource Center. I have been working hard since September to help students access accommodations. Today, I want to talk about what I do in my role as an intern and some of the inner workings of the Disability Resource Center. Let's start with some background on why Disability Resource Centers exist. Though there are people working at Disability Resource Centers who do believe in disability justice, these centers were created out of mandate, not out of the goodness of anyone's heart. Under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, colleges must provide equal access to students with disabilities. IDEA does not cover students past high school graduation. Disability Resource Centers provide what are called reasonable accommodations. This is actually a legal term and reasonable is defined to exclude anything that substantially modifies curricula or imposes an undue burden on the college. This can be quite subjective in practice. From here on out, I'm just gonna call my internship site the DRC for short. I started this internship through my social work program. It was pretty last minute because a lot of places wouldn't take interns due to the pandemic. All the work was remote, which was awesome for me because I didn't have to commute. The first few weeks were a lot of training on confidentiality policies. These policies are important, but very straightforward. We also made a year-long plan to identify internship activities that would fit all the social work competencies. After that, I had the chance to shadow my colleagues and see how they conducted appointments to determine students' eligibility. At these initial appointments, students share their experiences with their disability and tell us how it impacts them in school. Then we brainstorm accommodations that could help in their learning. Accommodations are not handouts or special treatment. We work with students to promote an equity lens. Accommodations are meant to give access to an environment that is otherwise inaccessible. When I started taking appointments on my own, it was hard for me to refrain from spouting off all my personal beliefs on accessibility. A lot of students who come to the DRC do have internalized ableism or think that struggling is a normal part of their lives. It's hard not to in this world. But my role wasn't to force them to take accommodations based on my own perception of what I thought could help them. My role was to listen and to collaborate. Students had to agree to take accommodations. This part of the process felt like we were selling accommodations and I remarked that it felt a lot like customer service. We couldn't put in accommodations for a student unless they agreed to it, so we'd often have to sell them on it by explaining why we think it could help. Our primary source of documentation is a student's experience, and I think it's great that my college chooses to do it this way. For one, students find it very cathartic to be heard and believed, and two, Documentation as an adult is hard to come by. I know I'm autistic and I have my paperwork from early childhood, but I don't have any current documentation explaining my functional limitations. I've been considering if I should go to a provider while I'm still on my parents' health insurance and essentially get reevaluated for autism. But the thought of telling my history to a stranger for them to possibly invalidate my identity and say that I'm 
too high-functioning to be autistic is something that's kept me from doing it. When I registered with the Disability Resource Center at University of Washington, it just so happened that my original paperwork was from University of Washington. They really weren't in any position to question their own decision-making. At the DRC where I intern, we do ask for documentation if we feel we need more information or if the request is for a higher level accommodation. For example, we require documentation for all housing accommodations because we are making changes to the campus housing contract that specifies how much single rooms cost or policies on animals. Also, fun fact! IEPs do not count as documentation at most colleges. Documentation generally means a letter from a provider. And if you don't have insurance or you're self-diagnosed, good luck. After the initial appointment, students get access to reasonable accommodations for which their eligibility was determined. Students are then responsible for requesting these accommodations every term. In fact, that's in line with how the DRC is accessed. An advisor or instructor may suggest registering with the DRC, but it is up to the student to approach us. We don't get a list of students with disabilities and do outreach that way. One way I hope to see the DRC grow is in how it presents its opportunities to students who aren't registered. I'll explain more about this in a bit. Another thing I do at the DRC is drop-in appointments. These are quick, usually 15-minute appointments where students come to us if they have questions about their accommodations, questions about registering, or if there's an instructor issue, and we do a lot of our troubleshooting during drop-ins. Let me catch you up on where we're at in the process. I've talked about initial appointments and determining eligibility, documentation, and the student's responsibility to request their accommodations. Now we're at the phase where the accommodations should have been implemented. This is where drop-in appointments come in. If a student is concerned that their accommodations are not in place or they want to change their accommodations, we can hear them out and try to fix it. The most frustrating part of drop-ins for me is hearing students say that their instructors are being inflexible about their accommodations. I empathize because I'm a student who also uses accommodations at the DRC, and unfortunately our power only goes so far. This seems to be where a lot of problems happen. The DRC can send the request for reasonable accommodations, but it is then up to the instructors to actually implement them. Some of these instructors don't know how to implement the accommodations, some of them are jerks about it, and both adversely affect the students. A good portion of my day is spent emailing instructors about how to set up accommodations or asking them to confirm that they are in place. The DRC has no control over instructors who are closed-minded about disability. We also can't ask instructors to adjust their teaching or communication styles to accommodate a disability. That was always my problem with disability resource centers and actually why I didn't register with the DRC until just recently. My first experience at University of Washington left me jaded. I requested a single room due to my disability and explained all the things I needed to be successful. 
The request was sent on to the housing office, and because everything except the request itself was considered confidential information, the housing office only knew that I was requesting a single room. It didn't know anything about my sensory processing disorder or autism because the ADA prohibits disability resource centers from sharing any information about our disabilities. So, I get placed in the noisiest location on campus, across from Greek Row and an ambulance route. My whole year living there was miserable, and even though they were trying to protect my disability information, they ended up failing me. I didn't register with the DRC at my current school until I knew which accommodations were offered, as not all of them are listed on the website. I have this thing where I don't have the ability to ask for things unless I know they exist. Like say you're at an ice cream shop and hypothetically you can ask for chocolate, but you don't know if they have it because it's not on the menu. This is what does me in at job interviews too. If I'm not asked to elaborate on an answer, I won't elaborate because they didn't ask me to. In fall and winter, I took student appointments, emailed back and forth with instructors, and attended weekly supervision. In spring, I came up with a project to explore the DRC's image with autistic students. I love science, and I'm autistic, so I'm the perfect person to do it, I thought. The first step to any study is to make an observation. My observation was that I rarely interacted with any autistic students at the DRC. It reminded me of my freshman year of college where I felt like I was the only one, but this time, seven years later, I was taking the reins and trying to figure out why. I had a hypothesis that the DRC didn't advertise accommodations that would support students whose disabilities presented social communication barriers. Like I was saying earlier, we can't change the ways instructors communicate, and often people think of disability as something that manifests physically. So I designed four focus groups to interview autistic students registered with the DRC about their experiences with the DRC. I received great feedback from the participants. One of them told me that they wouldn't have even considered participating if a non-autistic person were running it, and I was super flattered. I affectionately refer to them as my focus groupies and went above and beyond to structure the group in a way I thought would most benefit the group. I sent out the list of questions beforehand so the participants would know what to expect. I was very clear about action items in my emails. I highlighted links and deadlines, and most importantly, I emailed everyone using the BCC line so nobody would reply all by accident. During the groups, I was very clear about prompts and turn-taking. We used the raise hand feature on Zoom, and I called on people individually to avoid the guesswork of trying to interpret who would speak next. I'm still working on analyzing all the data. What I'm finding so far is confusion about what the DRC can offer. The majority of participants were unsure how the DRC could be of use to them because they didn't have access to enough information. Some participants didn't know that the DRC can mediate disputes with instructors. Others said that they would like to see more resources on how to make the most of their accommodations. 
One idea I particularly liked was to hold an info session on self-advocacy. I had to take a minimal role in the focus groups because I was facilitating, but I found myself so happy to be in these autistic spaces, and they seemed happy that they had representation at the DRC. When I'm all done with my qualitative coding, I'm planning to present my findings to my colleagues. I want to address one of the very first things I said in this episode. Yes, disability resource centers were created out of mandate. Disability organizations are still one of the few places where it's socially acceptable to not have representation in positions of power. The DRC does have disabled staff, and even in my experience with the non-disabled staff, it's been very uplifting of disabled voices, including my own. One thing I've been pushing for is a way to better communicate that sense of solidarity to students. I brought this up at a team meeting in December. I'll have to check in and see where that idea went. I hope you enjoyed this episode and hearing about the blend of my professional and personal lives. I'm ending my internship this month, and unlike all the jobs I've been fired from, I'm actually ending on good terms. I consider this chapter a success. Next year, I'll be at a different internship, and I'm really looking to develop my counseling skills for interventions with neurodivergent people.